Just a quick disclaimer, there's a brief mention of spousal abuse and some more specific than usual violence at the beginning of today's story. Please see the post on mythpodcast.com for more information. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from Tanzania where we'll learn about the dangers of talking vegetables and why young Bruce Wayne never had a puppy. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a ballerina horse, who's also a blender. This is Myths and Legends, episode 224. It's the Great Bumpkin, Kiali. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This episode is a different one. I found this story and I kind of couldn't believe the twists. It's from the Nalamba people, a Bantu group in northern Tanzania in Africa. I kind of fell in love with this story, and I hope you like it too. young woman's heart pounded as she ran. She had to get home. She had to get away from him, her husband. Kiali's sister was over at her house. Her sister had said something innocuous. He flew into a rage. Kiali and her sister laughed, and they didn't see him grab the stick. Kiali heard the dull crack of the stick, saw her sister freeze mid-word, and dropped to the floor. Both Kiali and her husband stood in shocked silence as the blood began to surround Kiali's sister's head. The husband dropped the club. His rage was gone, and panic flooded in to take its place. He shook and ran from the house. The young woman dropped to her knees to help her sister, but the sister's eyes stared up into nowhere. She wasn't drawing breath. She was gone. So, the young woman ran. The husband had been like this before, but never to this extent. She knew if he dared to come back, it would be in tears, begging forgiveness. But it would always happen again. There would be no forgiveness. Not this time. She had been running for what felt like an hour, with only the clothes on her back coming with her from her old life. She was going home, to the family that she had left, that he had forbidden her to see, until her sister showed up out of the blue. Kiali looked back down the road. No one was in sight. No one was following her. She couldn't breathe. She had to stop. She put her hands on her knees and just breathed. It wouldn't be long now, until she was at her family's village. She would be safe there and... Hey, she heard. Uh, help me? Please? The young woman stood up straight, looking all around her for the source of the voice. The trees were empty. She was alone. Hey, she heard. Down here? She looked down and saw a porcupine, about the usual size of a porcupine, waving up at her. She cocked her head. You, you can talk? Yes, the porcupine called out, and his family needed her help. She glanced back over her shoulder. The robe was still empty. Her husband probably had other things to worry about right now than coming after her. She looked down to the porcupine. Better that two families weren't destroyed today. Sure, she could help. 
As the pair walked into the trees, the porcupine took a lot of interest in who she was and where she was going. She confided in him about the murder and said that she was going to her parents' house in the closest village. The porcupine stopped in front of a pit. Hmm, her parents, okay. Maybe he knew them. Where did they live? Oh, and what were their names? She told the porcupine the address and then stopped. For someone whose family was in mortal danger, he was awfully chatty. The porcupine shrugged. Oh, she got him. He was a people porcupine. Loved people. Loved talking to him. Wanted to be one. Wanted to take over her life and become her, leaving her to die in a pit. She nodded. She got it. Cool, cool. Wait, what? She didn't see him gnawing the last bit of cord at his side and didn't see the Ewok-style log as it flew from the trees, catching her in the back and throwing her into the pit. But she sure felt it. As she thudded down into the dirt of the pit, which, aside from everything else, was just impressive, it was like us digging out an office building for a porcupine, she looked up, unable to speak, because the wind had been knocked out of her. And she was looking into her own face. With her own voice, the shape-shifting porcupine told Kiali that it was so sorry that it had to be like this. Thank you for wanting to come help his family, but if she could just stay here, keep quiet, die, that would be awesome for him. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, I'm home, the porcupine in the form of Kiali said. The family clamored to see the woman, and well, where was the sister? Her sister had gone to visit her. Oh, you know, she's dead, the porcupine woman said. The family staggered back. What? Kiali said, yeah, yeah, her husband, jerk that he was, bopped her on the head and now she's dead. That's why Kiali was here. She escaped with her life and blah, blah, blah. Enough about her. She wanted to know about the family. Let's dig into some of that awesome human conversation. She just loved it. Way better than porcupines. All they wanted to talk about was eating bark and roots and all their spines. Oh my gosh, the spines. Always with the spines. And oh, why is everyone crying? One of Kiali's sisters embraced the porcupine in the form of Kiali. And the porcupine hugged her back. This was good. Really good. He was so happy to finally be part of a family. This lasted all of about three hours. Kiali's father and brothers took off for Kiali's village to see that justice was done for the sister when, on the way, they heard a familiar voice calling from what would be a long walk for a porcupine but was a pit that was pretty visible from the road. They rescued the actual Kiali who told them to get back home. A shape-shifting porcupine was in their house and they had no idea what his nefarious plan was. When they returned home, they found the porcupine in the form of the young woman, sitting at a table with their mother, both of them just having pleasant conversation. When the young woman limped through the door, the porcupine stood. Her! She was the shapeshifter from the forest who was trying to steal her life! Kill her! Kill her now! The family looked to the actual Kiali, who just asked the porcupine what her own middle name was. The young woman opened her mouth and then paused. Oh, oh no. Porcupine Kiale instantly transformed back into a porcupine and made a break for the door. Given ample warning about the porcupine, 
the father was ready with a boot. One sharp hit, and the porcupine was unconscious. Several more, and it was dead. That was so weird, he said, picking the animal up and tossing its body into the fire. They watched as the porcupine interloper burned away. Kelly's husband was on the lam, they learned when they arrived at the young woman's village, but they wrapped the sister's body and brought her back. It was a hard day for all, and Kelly stopped as she passed the fireplace. What the? What the? The pumpkin that was now growing there, repeated back to Kelly. Okay, now that's weird, she said. Okay, now that's weird, the pumpkin repeated. E Everybody? Kelly called out not taking her eyes away from the small pumpkin that was now growing in the fireplace. Everybody? The pumpkin yelled out, too. The family was gathered outside. They did not need this today, the day they buried one of their daughters. The eldest brother held the axe. Okay, they would go inside, he would chop it up, and they'd get back to the funeral. It's really hard to mourn with a pumpkin repeating everything you say. The others agreed and followed the brother with the axe inside. What, what do I do? Just, just do it? It's not like you can sneak up on a magical pumpkin. It doesn't even have eyes, the axe-wielding brother remarked, and then raised the axe. Then, Kiali realized something. The pumpkin didn't repeat that. When dealing with supernatural pumpkins, Kiali wasn't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. She got the answer when her brother raised his axe over the pumpkin and the pumpkin ate him whole, axe and all. It grew a little bigger and the rest of the family, frozen in shock, broke and ran. No one made it out of the house. Oh, that's a sweet-looking pumpkin, the kid said as he passed. A, yeah, a sweet-looking pumpkin. It was big. Oh, yeah, gonna pluck that pumpkin, the actual text says. Pluck me? Pluck you, the pumpkin replied. The kids laughed. A talking pumpkin! No way! Awesome! While they were marveling over the talking pumpkin, the talking pumpkin rolled over to them and ate them whole. The whole thing about the pumpkin moving from house to house, hiding in plain sight and eating people has a real Goosebumps vibe to it. But that's exactly what the pumpkin did. One morning, someone would look outside and see an empty field. The next, they would go out and see what would have to be a prize-winning pumpkin at any county fair. When they went to investigate why there was a pumpkin the size of a VW bug in their yard, they became part of the reason the pumpkin was the size it was. Soon, the pumpkin was the size of a boulder. It was unstoppable. Anyone who tried to hide in their house had their house demolished. When it got big enough, the pumpkin started eating houses. One couple, traveling along the road, saw, in the distance, a giant orange mass. And it was hard to tell because it was so big, but it was growing. It was moving closer. The husband put his hand on the wife's abdomen, feeling the baby shifting inside. He gripped his bow and arrow and looked over his shoulder to a cave they had passed not long ago. He narrowed his eyes and told her to run. He 
would be right behind her. He wasn't. He lasted about as long as you think he would against a pumpkin the size of a 10-story building. But the woman, she ran. She could feel the rumble in the ground behind her as the pumpkin rolled closer. She could see the shadow falling on her. And when she finally reached the mouth of the cave, the pumpkin slammed over the opening, closing it up and blotting out all light inside. She stood panting. She made it. She was alive. Now, the pumpkin backed up from the mouth of the cave, saying something along the lines of, oh, it was just going to go take a walk. But it wasn't that difficult to see that the pumpkin hadn't gone anywhere. It was a massive, 100-foot-tall pumpkin. It was just waiting for the woman to emerge from the cave. She didn't, and at the end of the three days, when she was almost out of the food that she and her husband had brought for their trip, the pumpkin finally gave up. She waited another day, before she dared to emerge. When she did, she saw the desolation. The houses that hadn't been swallowed whole had been half or completely destroyed. Oddly enough, the pumpkin had left all the village's food behind, just taking the people. So the woman gathered it up and made her way back to the cave. Yes, the cave. Because while she may be pregnant and alone, she wasn't leaving. She knew the pumpkin couldn't get to her in there. And the thing that had taken not only her husband, the father of her unborn child, but her family, her home, was still out there. And she wouldn't leave until they were all avenged. We'll see this young mother's plan for vengeance, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. She gave birth, alone, in the cave, and cared for her son, Malilua, as he grew into a young man. The village, or what remained of it, became a cursed place, untouched and avoided by travelers. The mother traded in stories with anyone daring enough to come close to the desolation. She learned a few things about the possible origin of the monster pumpkin, but nothing definitive. Years had passed, and though she hadn't seen the pumpkin since the day it had chased her into the cave, the village remained abandoned. No one would go near that cursed place. Then, her son, when he was old enough, asked her, Hey, why do we live in a cave and so close to this ruined town? And why do you spend like 20% of your day staring off into the horizon, brooding? The mother said it was the monster who destroyed their home, the monster who had killed his father. Malilua narrowed his eyes. Get me my bow and arrow. Also, please train me to use a bow and arrow. Thanks. Malilua learned quickly, and his mother had a lot of wisdom to impart. She had grown up hunting alongside her brothers and she and her husband had shared in that duty, so she knew well how to shoot a bow. She also taught him how to forge his own weapons. The boy was eager to learn and wanted to grow to the point where he could avenge his father. Finally, that day came. He slid his sword into a leather scabbard, looped the bow around his back, made sure his quiver was full of arrows, and set out after the rogue, murderous pumpkin. 
and 10 minutes later, he was back. He announced that he had his quarry. It was done. His father was avenged. The mother cocked an eyebrow. Okay, so he killed the giant monster pumpkin in 10 minutes? Lilua laughed. Of course not. He was so powerful that he captured the pumpkin. The mother looked outside. Okay, sure. And where was the pumpkin that ate their village? He opened his hands, revealing a grasshopper. Oh, close. So close. That's actually a grasshopper. Malilua looked at it. Oh, so not a pumpkin? The mother shook her head. Nope. Actually, a completely different kingdom in the taxonomic rank. A pumpkin is a squash, you know, a plant. And this is an insect. The boy said, oh, was it cool if he let it go then? The mother nodded, please. She said that actually this was on her. She had been so focused on training him up to avenge his father since the time he could talk that she never really gave him much of a traditional education. Not a lot of overlap between training your kid to be a murderous avenger and, you know, kindergarten. So... Do you want to start that, or... Malilua asked. The mom shrugged. Nah. Oh, actually, they could do both. Kill stuff, bring it back, and she would tell him what it was. That's what he did. There's a spot in the story that I don't completely understand. There's a few of them, actually. He did bring back the grasshopper first. And then the story says that he just kept bringing back a bunch of other stuff to his mom, who I guess didn't tell him to be on the lookout for a ten-story tall pumpkin. So I guess at this point, she did know about the shape-shifting nature of the pumpkin porcupine due to her conversations with the travelers daring to come near the wasteland. So maybe it was a way to be completely sure. You know, if you know something is a shapeshifter, killing everything you see is one way to try to suss out the monster. Super sad way for Malilua to learn what a puppy and kitten are called, but that's the life of a child steeped in vengeance for their murdered parent. I don't know if Bruce Wayne ever had many happy childhood memories with puppies either. One time, though, Lilua returned empty-handed. His mother asked what was up, and he said he just saw something weird. Out there, in the lake about a quarter mile away, there were green vines and leaves, scooping up water and pouring it down onto an orange island. Malilua's mother sat up. Oh, oh, that's it. That's the pumpkin. That's him. Malilua craned his neck. Wait, seriously? The mother nodded. Yep. The boy slung his bow over his shoulder and checked his sword. For real this time, he was ready. It was time for him to avenge his father. The mother paused, putting her hand on the boy's shoulder. You know, you raise a child to be filled with vengeance and hate to avenge their murdered parent, and you tell yourself, I'm going to be ready when that child leaves to face mortal danger and battle the family nemesis. But you never are. But then she told the boy to wait. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. She held out an arrow a single arrow that she had been able to craft based on the stories, the rumors of rumors that she had heard about the monster that had destroyed their world. She didn't know if it would work, but it was worth a try. Malilua hugged his mother, saying that he would return victorious. Her husband and his father would be avenged. Malilua arrived at the lake. There, off in the distance, two green vines danced in the waves, pouring water on what looked like a small orange island. Malilua laughed. Look at those two little guys. They were so skinny. 
This would be easy. An orange island was weird. But remember that his life sciences education up to this point had been mainly focused on what he should and should not kill. He knocked an arrow, took aim, and let it fly at the serpentine green monster out in the lake. Before it hit, he went all Legolas and shot another. Both of the vines were hit, twitched, and dropped into the water. Malilua smiled. Huh, that was easier than the grasshopper. Now to turn around and not look back at all. I should say that he did look back when the shadow of the pumpkin shrouded him in darkness. Malilua turned, looking up at the horror of the pumpkin that blotted out the sun. The pumpkin looked down, I guess? I'm still not sure it even has eyes. Malilua heard the monster rumble with delight at the sight of its first meal in years. Malilua drew his sword, charged, and attacked. It didn't go well. Imagine fighting a building, but like a building that wanted to eat you. How would you even start to approach that? Malilua realized, after a few successful cuts, that slashing at it would do next to nothing. The vines coming from the pumpkin's head whipped out at him from nowhere, but they were like the hydra. When he cut one, two more took its place. The pumpkin, for its part, was just having a great time. It was its first time out of the lake in over a decade, and it was fun to play with your food. The boy could fight back, but the 10-story pumpkin was a 10-story pumpkin. It was an unstoppable force. Soon, the boy was in full retreat, but that wasn't good enough. The pumpkin followed, relentless, crushing trees, rolling over boulders. It was coming, and Malilua couldn't make it back to the cave in time. Malilua shot arrow after arrow, but they just stuck in the pumpkin, barely piercing the surface. Then, Malilua felt his quiver, he was down to his last arrow, the one that his mother had given him. As he pulled it out, he looked at the arrowhead that wasn't an arrowhead. It was spines lashed together. Huh, weird. The pumpkin was just about on him now. The mouth opened wide, ready to eat him. The boy quickly knocked the arrow, letting it fly into the open mouth and shut his eyes, preparing himself to follow after his father into death. He had done everything he could. The pumpkin was just too strong. A few seconds later, he opened his eyes, noting that he wasn't eaten by a pumpkin yet. Above him, the pumpkin rocked back, its flesh already turning green and rotting. Somehow, that last arrow, the one with the arrowhead made out of porcupine quills, had done it. The pumpkin was dying. Real quickly, even the person who collected the story just kind of threw up their hands at this, saying that it was probably because the pumpkin started off as a porcupine that the quills had some sort of power over him, but he doesn't know and frankly neither do I. What we do know, though, is that the pumpkin didn't have much time left in this world. The pumpkin said he was sorry. He was so sorry. All he wanted were friends. The pumpkin coughed and some giant seeds and those stringy orange innards came out. He said he didn't even know how he was coughing. Pumpkins don't have lungs. Malilua screamed out that the pumpkin got what he deserved. The pumpkin murdered his father. The pumpkin shook his head, well, his body, I guess, since he was all head, saying no. The pumpkin never killed anyone. 
everyone he had taken was alive inside him, living on pumpkin and the various juices in there. The pumpkin never wanted to hurt anyone, not even Kiali. She was just kind of collateral damage. Malilua shook his head and said he wasn't familiar with that part of the story. Please get back to the part about no one being dead. The pumpkin said yes. Everyone that he had taken had lived. He had only wanted friends. He had only wanted a family. But it turns out that when you kidnap people and force them to live inside you for nearly 20 years subsisting on your pumpkin fluids, they don't want to be your friends. There was so much he still had to learn about humans. So much he would never get the chance to now. Malilua said, no, we're not doing this. You're not sympathetic. Please tell him more about how his father was alive. He unsheathed the sword and made his way for the pumpkin's belly. A vine came down and stopped the boy. No, not there. Malilua said he was getting his father out, no matter what. And the pumpkin said it understood. It wanted that too. Now that he was dying and would decompose around them, he too wanted the people inside him to be free. But Malilua couldn't cut into him there. It would be too close to the humans. The pumpkin took one of its vines and pointed to a spot on its side. There. Cut there. Malilua took his sword and cut into the side of the pumpkin and he heard a cry from the inside. Then, voices, shouting, saying that they were alive. Please, please help. When the hole was wide enough, Malilua saw that the pumpkin wasn't lying about everyone being alive. Packed inside, the people poured out. First, of course, was an elderly woman who had been sleeping by the wall that Malilua had cut with his sword. She was holding her ear and gripping the side of her bloody head, spitting curses at Malilua. He had cut off her ear, but everyone told her to get over it. They were alive. Malilua half-heartedly apologized, looking past the woman. He froze when his eyes lighted on the pumpkin-covered middle-aged man who looked like an older version of himself. He sheathed the sword, ran toward his father, and hugged him. It was over. But Malilua had not avenged his father. He had saved his father. The people rebuilt the village, and everyone just left the pumpkin to rot by the lakeside. Sure, it was a missed opportunity for some pumpkin pie or pumpkin bread, but for the people of the town who had spent nearly two decades in the pumpkin, while their captor tried to make awkward small talk with them, it was, and would always be, too soon. Kiali and her family returned to their home, which was still mostly in one piece, on account of the pumpkin being small when it ate them. And I'm assuming at this point, years later, the murderous husband had been punished for his crimes. The story doesn't say. In fact, it opens by saying that Kiale was returning home, fleeing from her husband who murdered her sister, but kind of don't worry about it, because it doesn't relate to the pumpkin story. I didn't think that would work for our telling, so I flushed it out a bit more. The father having returned, Malilua and his mother left the cave and rejoined the village, both Malilua and his mother being recognized for their heroism. In fact, the village threw them a week-long celebration when they were back on their feet enough. It was at that celebration that the elderly woman, whose ear Malilua had accidentally cut off, approached the young hero, saying that there were no hard feelings about the ear thing. She handed him a beer, and he took a big drink. Malilua nodded, saying that he was, of course, sorry, but hopefully she could see that it was in no way intentional. It was an honest mistake. She just happened to be sitting against the wrong wall. She nodded, 
completely. She understood completely. I mean, anyone can make that type of mistake, right? Sit against the wrong wall and you can lose an ear. Drink the wrong beer and you can lose your life. Lilua finished draining the beer she had given him. Sorry, what was that? The woman smiled and smiled. Nothing, dear. Enjoy your party. Lilua cocked his head. Huh, weird. He turned and collapsed. Before anyone could get any help to him, the boy who lived his whole life training to save people from a giant pumpkin died because he saved people from a giant pumpkin. The end. This story is short and brutal in its ending. Just dropping that Malilua died from the woman's witchcraft, or poisoned beer, or beer poisoned using witchcraft. Regardless, the story is the same. I don't know what, if any, lesson there is to be learned here. You can't please some people? Knock before shoving a sword into a giant pumpkin? Don't take beers from people whose ear you cut off? Actually, any of those probably work. Also, don't trust talking porcupines. Next week, we're in European folklore, with a guy who gets everything he could ever want, and somehow, that is a huge problem for him. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For just a little bit less than the price of a mini wacky-waving inflatable arm-flailing tube man, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, will not give you the feeling of visiting a used car dealership or a fast-food chain grand opening wherever you have 18 inches of clearance. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Whirling Wimpus, basically a ballerina horse. It's a fearsome critter from the Appalachian Mountains in the United States. Described as a tall, chunky beast with the body of an oil drum and covered in rough fur, the Wimpus's two hind legs meet in one combined fetlock, which then end in one singular hoof for both legs. The front legs aren't hooves, they're more like paddles. They're long, sinewy, and powerful, kind of just hard and bony. But the noteworthy thing isn't how the wimpus looks, it's what it does with its hoof and paddles. You see, unlike horses, the wimpus is 100% carnivorous. Deer, bear, turkey, humans, anything it can get its weird little slappers on, it'll eat. But you might be thinking, one combined leg and muscly slappers? How does that thing eat a bear? Well, that's where the ballerina part comes in. About sundown, the wimpus will paddle itself up a tree, take a deep breath, and push. It will point its single hoof down and start to spin, and spin, and spin. It can apparently hit a max speed of 2,150 RPM, and it drones like a motor. It's said to be practically invisible, I think the cartoon Tasmanian Devil Tornado destroying everything in its path might be a pretty obvious giveaway. Its favorite food is hikers, who are not only hiking after dark, but who also hear a loud droning in the forest and go to investigate. Don't do that, by the way. The creature waits for the hiker to come to it, but when the hiker arrives, the human is instantly pureed by those rough paddle hands. The wimpus will then cut the throttle, pull out its straw, and slurp up its favorite meal. So, a number of do's and don'ts on this week's creature, but if you have to be out in unknown stretches of the Appalachian Mountains, and you're hiking at night, maybe don't go investigate that ballerina horse with a straw in its mouth. 
that sounds like an old air conditioner. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.